The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. He may seem like a mild-mannered engineer until you install an HVAC system improperly. Then the whole turning green Hulk shirt ripping thing happens. And it's not pretty. Here's Bill Spone. Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. We're here to help the professions of HVAC and building performance to work better together to make more happy customers in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. Well, today's a story of an HVAC contractor who does do building performance work. So fortune may come knocking, but sometimes it sounds very faint and almost imperceptible. When someone takes you under their wing, how do you know if that's where you want to be? If the bug to start your business bites, what do you do next? Where can you learn from others' experience and insight? What do you do? We're pleased to welcome the very successful HVAC contractor, Hal Smith, to our podcast. Hal shares with us the story of how he started and grew Helco Energy. We learn the ups and downs of growing an HVAC plumbing and more contracting business in the mostly rural area of New York State with just one to two competitors. Hal uses straightforward thinking and simple insights to create a business where the goal is to earn customers for life. We also hear where Hal gains new perspectives and insights, including the way he snacks on learning. Hal's a hands-on business operator who knows and communicates with his customers. So let's listen in as Hal describes the story of Helco Energy and how he got started and grew this business to the levels it's at right now. Good morning, Hal. Good morning, Bill. How are you? Good, thanks. And building HVAC science, this is what pretty much Hal's all about, and this is where he's built his business. And we're going to be talking with him today about the journey of building the business and how he got into this aspect of home performance or building performance and how it's expanded and done different things for him. So, Hal, why don't you start way back and tell us how you got involved in the field of mechanical contracting? I was real fortunate. I went on a church youth group trip at 12 years old, and I met this plumber who worked at the New York State Experimental Station from Cornell University. And he was a chaperone, and he took a liking to me, and he took me on as his apprentice. And I became his apprentice working weekends, vacations, all summer long from the age of 12 years old. So from there, during high school, the junior and senior year, I took the vocational program for plumbing and heating right out of high school. I went to work for a company as a plumbing service technician one week out of high school, and I immediately started taking a night school at a local community college, and I did that four nights a week for four years for the HVAC piece of the business. So I went from a plumbing service technician to an HVAC service technician for this company, and then at the ripe age of 22, decided to go in business myself. So did you have this like natural aptitude or interest in sort of the mechanical trades? It sounds like you must have something drew you into it. I feel this when you talk about mechanical aptitude. And in fact, we test for that here. When we interview people, we actually give a hands-on test. We let them use a, a sawzall and a cordless drill and climb a ladder and those things. I feel like when that was a God-given thing that I had, I tell people when I interview them, I mean, some people were blessed with musical ability. I wasn't. Some people were blessed with artistic ability. I wasn't. But this gift of mechanical aptitude and working with my hands and tools, I was. So yeah, I think it was a natural path for me. It did fit right in. So 
going to the school for four nights a week for four years, that's quite an investment of time. And it probably sets you apart from your peers at that time. Yeah. I mean, there were plenty of nights they were going out drinking and I was going to school, but it was an investment that certainly has paid off. And what area of the country was that you start off in and do you work in now? Yeah, I've stayed right in the same area. We're in upstate New York, the Finger Lakes area, where I'm in a the town of Phelps. It's a small little town. It's actually a sauerkraut capital of the world. <laughs> wow. And every year we have a sauerkraut festival. Uh, all the farmers around here grow cabbage. But anyway, I'm exactly halfway between Rochester and Syracuse here in New York, right off the New York State Thruway, the Geneva Thruway exit. So we're right in between those two metropolitan areas. And now take us through a couple of steps to where you are today, because 22, I don't think you're 22 anymore, are you? No, I've been in business 35 years. So take 22 and add 35, I'm 57. And in that time, what's been the progress of your business? Did you start out in plumbing where you came from or HVAC or a combination? How has things changed with your service offering to customers? Yeah. So this 35-year journey, I started out by myself and we were a plumbing and heating company at that point. So we were providing both uh, service and installation. And then we quickly started to grow and I started hiring people and that went along pretty well for a few years. Then all of a sudden it was difficult because there was a total lack of organization and I was never taught on how to run a business. I knew how to do the work, but running a business was a whole different thing. So it took a lot of years of learning. But one thing we've always done that's carried us right through is we've always done the right thing for the customer and taking care of the customer. So probably about 15 years into that, we got into the electrical business and I had a bunch of electricians working for me. And at that time, we were doing a lot of plan spec bid work and that we were growing fast. We were doing lots of volume, but I quickly found that that was not the business I wanted to be in. I got tired of being told that I want a bid. When I got told I want a bid, I went back to see what I forgot in my price. So <laughs> I just eventually got out of the plan spec bid business because I simply got tired of being called the winner. We have focused, we retain many of those commercial customers as design build customers, and we still have them today. That's probably 20% of our business. 80% of our business is residential retrofit, working on existing homes. We do almost no residential new construction. The new construction work we do do is with the commercial design build, and that is a small piece of our business. But we have many good builders and architects and engineers that we work for on this design build partnership. So going back to this lack of organization, sort of like a moment of truth, like I need help here. Where did you go? I mean, was it just all internally built or did you use some outside resources? How did you change where you were headed? A lot of years ago, I joined a contractor success group and I was part of that for a lot of years. And I still have many good friends from those early days. And that helped a lot. And then I was part of an ACA mix group. I chaired the local ACA chapter here for a while and got involved in their mix groups. And that was very, very helpful. And that was probably 10 years I was involved in that ACA mix group and a huge help to get me headed in the right direction. So help from things like an ACA mix group and that contractor success group. And, and in those early days, I was still a small contractor and they were going through the consolidation and buying up all those businesses. And we all know what happened with most of those. Yeah. So explain for listeners, what is a mixed group? They might not be familiar with that. A mixed group, a uh, peer group might be another word for it. So you get together, we had about eight 
companies from around the country. We were all like-minded. We were all similar in size, and we would get together four times a year. Every time we met, it would be at one of the person's business, their place of business. We would go in and do an evaluation of their business, meet their employees, look at their facilities, and then actually go through a SWAT process at the end where we analyzed and made recommendations. So they were here at our business a couple of different times during that time. And it's a very, very, very helpful process. Interesting. And for those not familiar, SWAT is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. A quick overview, a reaction to the way things are running for that business? For sure. And you certainly talk about all their positives, but you go through and see where their weaknesses and threats are and make recommendations on those as a peer group. Right. Because you're coming from a peer status with like sizes and like minds. It's not really threatening. Somebody's not telling you you're doing it wrong, but maybe how you could do it better. For sure. And we all were reporting our financials in the same way. In each meeting, we were all to bring our financials. It was all a complete visibility. You didn't hold anything back. It was a very quick way to learn. And that's only for ACA members, Air Conditioning Contractors of America? I think that there's other groups that have peer groups and are attempting to do peer groups, and I'm I'm all in favor. I think that there should be more of them, for sure. It was very helpful. I was the guy of the group that I was on a mission to grow, and a bunch of the members of the mixed group were not, and they just stayed their same size, so I eventually outgrew them. But each and every one of those members is still a very good friend. That's great. So we met in person recently at the Maine Indoor Air Quality and Energy Conference. You talked about a lot about plumbing and heating. How did you get to be looking at those kind of aspects, IAQ and energy? What led you into that? Why were you at that conference? I would say that I was fortunate in New York State back in the early days with BPI getting started, and they were pushing their house as a system concept. So I went to some of their seminars and training and bought into what they were selling, that heating contractors go in there with blinders on. They're looking at just the boiler or just the furnace, and they're not looking at the whole house as a system. And I very quickly realized what BPI was teaching was where I wanted to go with my business. So we got involved in the home energy side of things. NYSERDA here in New York State has many programs, and we've been part of many of them over the time. So we got into doing energy audits or evaluations, comprehensive evaluations, got into spray foam, got into cellulose insulation, lots of air sealing. So Right now, we've got eight full-time high-pressure spray foam rigs that go out every day. That's a main part of our business and a very good piece of our business. So when someone calls us today for a furnace estimate, we're more times than not also doing a comprehensive energy evaluation prior to giving them a price on a new furnace. And we go through a process and show them that if we don't test the house, we're only guessing and we don't want to play guesswork with their hard-earned money. So most times we're successful in having the customer allow us to do that. And it sets us apart from our competition. Certainly does. You have the weather up there to have that kind of demand too. Sometimes the cold weather really strikes pretty hard through there. Yeah, no, it sure does. So I was at that indoor air quality conference because we pretty much have the energy evaluations and the insulation and air sealing. That's a mainstay. We're doing that each and every day. The BPIs, I forget the name, what the home energy evaluator, home. Like the building analyst? No, where you test the building for indoor air quality. 
Oh, the Healthy Home healthy Evaluator. Home. Yeah, Healthy Home Evaluator. Sorry. But we realized that that's the next step for us. We need to be doing a lot more. I mean, we've, as an HVAC contractor, we've traditionally been in the indoor air quality business. We put lots and lots of air cleaners and dehumidifiers and humidifiers. So we're doing a lot of the pieces, but we really have not made that a business. So I was at that conference to learn and to make that a bigger part of our business. I'm always interested when I go to those conferences and Peter Trost is talking about the indoor air quality or the healthy home is the next and upcoming thing. And so we're going to work harder to make that a bigger part of our offering. Great. And for those listeners who don't know, Peter Trost is the founder of the Energy Circle, which is, I guess I think of as like a digital marketing agency for companies like yours. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. I really enjoy Peter because he's definitely got his finger on the pulse and he's right on where the industry's at. Fantastic. Sounds like you do a lot of networking. You're at that trade show, you know, Peter. How much time would you say you spend on this sort of absorbing, learning, doing research for your business, basically? I would say a lot more than I have in the past. I'm developed the business to the point where I have, I'm not part of the daily operations. I have a different people managing and running each of the different aspects of the business. So it allows me to work on the business and go to events like that and work on the next best thing for our business. So that sounds like, is it the concept of working on, not in the business? Do you study any of those kind of books or outside like general business topics? Like the E-Myth, that's what I was thinking of, the E-Myth Revisited. Right. I should be a lot bigger of a reader than I am. I do some, and certainly constantly reading trade magazines and the latest updates, whether it's equipment or technology, and go to seminars and things we participate. Over the years, what we've done is we have a tagline with our business, and it's because we strive to earn customers for life. And one of the main thrusts of that is our maintenance agreements. We have over 8,000 maintenance agreements. And one of the things that I did early on that was a good thing was establish this easy pay maintenance agreement. So almost all of our maintenance agreements, the customers are paying monthly, either electronic transfer from their checkbook or their credit card. And that works out well. And it's a nice foundation, a nice base. But what that does is it keeps us in that customer's home. And a year or so ago, we added uh, basement waterproofing, and that's just taken off like a rocket ship here. In our marketplace, we have lots of basements, and there's a lot of old, wet basements. So we have a full-time crew doing basement waterproofing. We do solar, and we do geothermal, and we do air source heat pumps, and everything related to our business, we try to tie all together. You're really taking care of the home and every aspect of the home. You described to me something about he had sort of like a pre-built kits to be able to rapidly take care of customers. You care to talk a little bit about that? What that actually does, Bill, is that ties into our commitment to service for the customer. We actually staff our office here 24-7, 365. I have both a customer service rep as well as a technician here 24-7, 365. So we're always answering our phone. We're always answering it live. And how we do that is we work different shifts. And a long time ago, I realized that the traditional on-call of a service technician didn't work. Technicians got burnt out and they ended up leaving you. So what we established was we have a group of technicians that work four days one week and then three days the next week. So a technician will work. He'll be on the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, every other Wednesday shift. And then the other group of technicians, they're on every other Wednesday, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday shift. So they'll work long days, those three or four days, but then after they've worked four long days, they have four off. 
So that works well. And then what we do at nine o'clock at night, we bring in a technician that works in our prefab department. So he's here working and pre-building. And if an emergency comes up, he's able to leave and go address that customer in the middle of the night. So I don't have to have any on call. But what it does is we're pre-building boilers and furnaces and ductwork and all the things that we typically build in a basement. We're able to build in a nice prefab type shop that's heated and air conditioned. With all the rooms, the tools and everything all around you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when we have those emergencies in those quick installations, we're able to pull something off the shelf that's pre-built and address it very quickly. That's pretty awesome. Was that an original idea or a modification of something? I and mean, it sounds like that could be a big deal changing the way the business does work. Yeah. A lot of these ideas are ideas that we had in-house and it took a lot of years to develop, but they're really starting to bear fruit. NYSERDA currently sponsors many different programs to promote clean energy and to promote heat pumps. And one of the things that we realized is they're talking to what I call early adopters. They're people that are willing to change their working gas furnace and put in an air source or a ground source heat pump because they want to help the environment. They want to do the right thing. And that's an early adopter. And we've enjoyed some of those customers, but they're very limited. There's not a lot that will do that. Most people are going to make that decision when it's a repair versus replace type scenario and their equipment's wore out and it makes more sense to replace it. So we're now working on a program where we have these things pre-built and ready and we have loaner units and we have ways that if a customer chooses the geothermal path or the air source path, we can keep them in heat and air conditioning while we get this new system installed. Because if you don't make it easy for them, they're just going to put the gas furnace right back in. So this whole concept going back to, to some extent, IQ and the home performance aspect, you have to educate a customer. How do you get them to understand what you're doing is going to help them? They might not appreciate it. What's the way of handling that, of educating a customer? We start out with this comprehensive assessment, and that turns up a lot of things. And when you start one thing that's needed a lot in our industry, in our marketplace, is we do a lot of dehumidifiers. We used to put hundreds and hundreds of humidifiers in. We hardly put any in anymore because after we tighten up the house, they typically need a dehumidifier more than they need a humidifier. So we do a lot of centralized dehumidifiers, but we've used the products like Air Advice and we're doing that indoor air quality testing. And that obviously shows the customer where the normal levels are and where their levels are and where they have a need for improvement. So that's an educational tool. Along with everything that we do with a comprehensive home assessment using the blower door and thermal imaging camera and showing the customer all the areas of leakage and high humidity. And it's a complete educational process. We have what we call energy advisors. They would be our sales arm, but it's more of an educational sale with them. We don't have any slicksters, used car salesman type people. It's all focused on educating the consumer to making the right decision for them. And you're not afraid to share these kind of technical details and measurements and explain along the way because then it's pointing to another source. It's not just because I said so, it's because the measurements tell me so, that kind of thing. Yeah, and you have to know your source. There's customers that want to hear that detail and then there's other customers that, frankly, they want you to help them make the decision for them and they don't want the details. So you have to know your audience. But yeah, we're certainly, we try to be very transparent. So things continue to evolve both in like the marketing side and now social media has become a big aspect and we're doing a social media thing here talking on a podcast. 
How are those elements integrated into the work you do at, at Helco? After being in business for 35 years, we don't do really any advertisement other than on the web. And we're not doing any pay-per-click. Frankly, we have more work coming in than we can handle. And what restricts us is more qualified technicians. And we constantly work on building new ones, but that takes a while. That doesn't happen overnight. So our growth is limited by how fast we can grow new technicians. But we're very focused on our Google score and making sure we're getting a good evaluation. So And our trucks are all labeled up and we have a high exposure there. So when someone goes and looks for us, I want to be represented well when they go to our website. And I want to make sure that we have good Google scores and we respond to all the customers that send in a Google evaluation. So we're blessed to not have to spend a lot of money on advertisement. But I think with that said, you still have to make sure that you're when someone actually goes to look for you or to research you, you want to make sure all your ducks are in a row and you look good. So obviously the name of the company's got your name in it. Is it a, would you consider it a family business? Yeah, I I have my two sons working in the business with me. My oldest son, Seth, works here at Halco. And then my middle son, Brock, we have a sister company that's a plumbing, heating, electric supply house, and he manages that. I have a daughter, Paige, who works with handicapped children. So far, she hasn't chose to come into the business with us. But yeah, my two sons are very involved in the business. And And I've got many people, homegrown people that have worked for me well over 20 years that are president of the company here. Shad Cook has worked for me for 25 plus years. A lot of homegrown people. My two sons are part of that. You mentioned Phelps, New York, between Syracuse and Rochester. What's sort of your service territory? Are you content with what you have or what's the limits of your business? On our brochures and our maps on the website, we have an inner area that we service when it comes to heating equipment and serving 24-7 with a no heat. And then we have an outer area that we're willing to go further for things that don't require that emergency service. And so we'll do spray foam insulation and we'll do solar panel work on that outer territory. The outer territory is 23 counties and the inner territory is more like 13 counties where we would provide the emergency 24-7. So we try to not oversell ourselves and not tell a customer that's two hours away from us that we're going to provide that after our service. I like the way you break everything down (laughs) into sort of bite-sized chunks, including, I mean, I was thinking back here, like you're learning. You said you aren't a big reader, but it's not like you do a lot of snacking on learning. You pick up things from here and there. And then as it comes out, you have a lot of little different points of reflection and inflection to think about how to change and adapt things. How quickly would you say you change your business? Some people like they spin on a dime. Other people look at things and study. How would you say you've done over these years of changing your business and morphing it? Does it happen quickly or, or more gradually? I think early on, too quickly. It was a guy that was not afraid to make a decision, and I would change things too quickly. And many mistakes got made with that early on. I remember making a decision that we were, because we do most everything ourselves. We don't use subcontractors. And the one thing we were subcontracting was drilling for our geothermal. And I was about to change that. And we went out and bought a geothermal drill rig And that was a horrible decision. Should have never done that. We're back now to subcontracting that out. That is the only thing we pretty much subcontract that drilling and some crane work, but the rest we do in-house. But so over the years, I've learned to slow it down and think about the decisions a lot more than I used to in the earlier years. That's fantastic. Are you involved with any of the trade schools? You talk about finding and actually prefabbing employees. I got that for prefabbing equipment and prefabbing employees, building them 
over time. Are there any trade schools you're involved with? Yeah, so there's a couple of local community colleges. There's about four local BOCES programs, and we partner with them with internships, and and I go and give talks to the classes. For a whole bunch of years, I was the chairman of the Finger Lakes Workforce Investment Board, and I'm real proud to say that 15 years ago, we started an event called Finger Lakes Works With Their Hands. So once a year, every October, we bring about 900 high school students to this facility. It's where they hold Empire Farm Days. So it's actually a farm, but it's got many buildings. It's a great facility. We bring these 900 high school students for a one-day hands-on event. So these students get to run a backhoe and a bulldozer, and they can weld. They come over to our booth, and we let them use an excavator. We put them up in a big scissor lift. They bend conduit. They use a plasma cutter. They braze. They solder. And they get a hard hat when they show up, and that hard hat has a Helco sticker on it. I'm real proud to say because I helped start the event, so I've been able to keep my sponsorship to that hard hat. These kids, we've hired many employees, and they'll bring their hard hat in from years past when they attended this event and say, see, Hal, I still got my hard hat. (laughs) But it's a great event and it continues to grow every year. And I was real proud to help get that started. You should be proud of that. That's terrific community engagement. And I mean, it it feeds back to your business, but it also feeds back to your community. And you do really echo that statement of earning customers for life. I think you're building the community where that becomes a little bit easier to do. That involvement with the Workforce Investment Board, what a allowed me to do was to tap into the dislocated workers. There was a lot of factories that were closing up and moving their facility to other countries, and it left a lot of good workers. So we were able to look at these people. Hey, they worked for this place for 10 years. They had a great attendance record. They were great workers. They just needed to be taught a new trade, and they turned out to be excellent employees because they already had that track record coming in. In your area, there's got to be competitors too. How do you interface with the competitors? Can you talk a little bit about that? We service a a very rural area. There's a lot of cornfields and cow pastures. So most of our competitors are the one and two man businesses, very small businesses. There are some larger competitors, but we just do what we do and we approach the business. First of all, it's kind of simple. We answer our phone and most of our competitors don't. But Isaac Heating is in our area. They surround us in all the areas we work in, and they're certainly a nationally known business. But we don't find ourselves butting heads with them much, frankly. Most of our competition is that small type business that's always cheaper than we are, and we got to show the customer the value in everything we offer. Excellent. I think I've learned a lot about you and the way you've taken this journey of building your business. And I think some of the things I'm gathering is it's, I don't want to call it simple, but I mean, it's really simple, basic insights. You just apply them. You're not afraid to apply them. And I think it's sustainable. And that's what excites me that generations to come, this business is still going to be here. Those maintenance agreement customers, they're very, very happy with us. They trust us. And again, we've got the business to the point where we don't have to spend a lot of money on advertisement. And it's a sustainable type thing, which is exciting. The work you've done in the past is your advertising, really. It's the goodwill you built. For sure. Great. Usually these podcasts don't get too long in the tooth. I'm sure we could talk for hours, but any closing points you'd like to give the listeners? If you're out there in a business, quitting is not an option. There's been many times it would have been easier for me to throw the towel in and just say to heck with it. But I stuck with it and it's worth it. It really is worth it. And you just got to make good decisions and keep going forward. Sounds good. So what's next for you today? What's happening in your schedule next? 
right now I'm focused on building this healthy home piece of our business more. And we're actually working on acquiring some other companies and heading in that direction. So we have lots of things in the works. Fantastic. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast this morning and we'll be sharing your thoughts with the listeners. And if somebody wants to get back in touch with you, what's the best way? Yeah, sure. My email is hal at halcoenergy.com, H-A-L at H-A-L-C-O-E-N-E-R-G-Y.com. Fantastic. Thanks again for joining us here in the podcast this morning. I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Sounds good, Bill. I really appreciate you having me. Okay. Take care. Take care, everyone, and listen again on the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Thanks for listening in to this episode, this chat with Hal Smith of Halco Energy. For your info, this episode was recorded in December 2019. Other trade-related resources and influences include HVACR School with Brian Orr and Caleb Salibi, Zach Ciotta of HVAC Shop Talk, Stephen Rarden, HVAC Reefer Guy, Mike Mayberry, Brent and Billy the Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery with Tersh Blissett, Quality HVAC with Zach Desjardins, HVAC Overtime, HVACR Videos, and Grace and Corbett Lunsford of HomeDiagnosis.tv, which is the first TV show on home performance. Of course, there's always great teaching and learning from Jim Bergman, who appears on a number of different channels and podcasts and social media outlets. You can follow MeasureQuick to learn more, the MeasureQuick YouTube video to learn more. I also host the ResTalk podcast, where you can learn more about home energy ratings and peripheral topics. If after listening, you haven't heard, if you you haven't heard what you listened to, that's really strange. But if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, maybe you want to do so by typing Building HVC Science in the search bar and sign up for subscriptions to find out when new episodes drop. Here's a quote for today by Elizabeth Arden, a Canadian businesswoman. Repetition makes reputation, and reputation makes customers. I think that has a lot of resonance with our discussion today with Hal Smith. The Building HVC Science podcast is a production of True Tech Tools, and we thank you for listening in today and hope to have you back next time on the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Take care.